my mother's Dutch pot. A poster, which is a map of Barbados. My grandmother's suitcase. A flyer with the sound system on it. We all have one of those objects, don't we? Something so sentimental, we've had it for years. And losing or breaking it is not an option. These objects tell a story about us. About our lives, upbringing and family. And for Caribbeans whose stories are so often left untold, we are bringing these stories to the fore. They're just pots on a surface level, but they're kind of loaded in history. These flyers would have been going back to the 70s, so it brings back great memories. This is Objects and Tings. A podcast celebrating Caribbeans and their favourite tings. Episode 6, A Ticket into Existence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Objects and Tings. I'm Linda Burrell, the daughter of... Me, Catherine Ross. And together we are the National Caribbean Heritage Museum, Museum And. Museum And is on a mission to share Caribbean stories throughout the UK with our exhibitions. And this year we're celebrating 75 years of the Windrush coming to British shores by launching this podcast. Yes, we Caribbeans have done a lot for the UK, whether that's helping to rebuild it after the Second World War or bringing vibrancy and colour with our music, food and culture. And this is a podcast that celebrates that. And because we're museum owners, we know only too well the power of objects to elicit memories. So each week we speak to a different person about a different object that speaks to their Caribbean roots in one way or another. And then we use these objects as a springboard to talk about their life more generally. Yes, it's amazing what you can learn about someone from an object. Or a ting. So this week we have Demi Bailey-Paul on the show. So my name's Demi and I'm a multifaceted journalist who loves audio, loves music and loves podcasts. Demi's got grandparents from all across the Caribbean. Her dad's parents are from Dominica and St Lucia. And her mum's parents? Well, I'll let her explain. My grandpa is from a small town in Jamaica called St Anne's. And then my nan, so she's from um, an island in the Caribbean called St Kitts and Nevis. It's kind of funny because Jamaican people have this rivalry thing with different islands. Because their island is the biggest, they always look down on small island people and they call them small island. So it's like, yum, yum, man, I met a small island girl and all these things like that. You know, being from St Kitts, I'm a small island girl too. And as you're from St Kitts and Daddy was from Jamaica, does that make me a medium island girl? (laughs) You can be whatever you want to be, Linda. So normally, this is a part where you make me guess what our guest's object would be. But the tables have turned, and this week I'm going to get you to guess what our guest's object is and see how you like it. Okay, hit me. As part of our job, this is something we have to collect on a daily basis. Paperwork? Not quite, but close. Receipts. Got it in two. (laughs) Not bad (laughs) for a first time. But this is a very particular receipt. So I'll let Demi explain. The object I've chosen today is the receipt of the ticket from the boat that my grandpa took from Jamaica to come to London for the first time during the Windrush in the 1960s. The receipt is really important to me because I I look at it as almost the starting point of the reason why I even exist and the reason why my mum's also here and 
it's the journey of my life as a second-generation Caribbean in London. So the receipt is not like your normal receipt at all. It's completely different. It's probably like one third of an A4 piece of paper. The colour has turned a little bit into a yellowish colour. So at the top of it, it says tentative departure date on the 18th of April 1961. And then as you go further down on the receipt, it says received from Victor Bailey. And Victor Bailey is my grandpa's name for the sum of £75 and 12 shillings and zero pence. So that was the price of the ticket. And it has a stamp on it to validate the ticket and then also a signature at the bottom. But yeah, £75 at the time was really, really expensive. It's almost like one of those things that you would save up for probably months and months and months to get that, that sum of money and you're paying for like your life to change, like a one-way ticket for your life to change. And from that, my grandpa coming over to this country, he was able to meet my grandma. My nan was really well educated and my grandpa, they're, they're completely opposite. So my nan went to a private school. So she's Scottish and black. So it was quite a rare thing back in the days to be um, quote unquote mixed race. And my grandpa, you know, he was a little bit rough back then, you know, like he is from the country and he's from Jamaica and, you know, he, he he has no skill other than being a carpenter. And my nan is like really high class. And, you know, if they both hadn't come to this country, then, <laughs> you know, my mum wouldn't have been made and then I wouldn't have been made. So, yeah, it's quite, quite the story. So my grandpa, He's really, really confident and he had a lot of friends. He was really, really popular. He'd always be the life of the party. He's got a gold tooth. I feel like every Jamaican has got a gold tooth. It's just a thing. So he's got he's got a gold tooth. And he's got a really bellowing laugh that is really contagious. <laughs> it's probably one of the funniest laughs I've actually heard. And when he laughs, you know, he sort of rolls back in, in his chair and, you know, he's doing all of this, like, um, head shaking and he's definitely a comedian. He loves to make people laugh. He really enjoys making people laugh. And I think that's also where I get my humour from. And in terms of how he dresses, what my grandpa wears is definitely, even till today's quintessential windrush attire to, to a tee with the, with the felt hat, the top hat and the waistcoat and the trousers and the proper shoes. That's how you present yourself if you're a Jamaican. They have a lot of pride in what they wear and they have a lot of pride in being Jamaican. It's really important to them. I feel really grateful that my grandpa held on to this because he's like 80, like four now. And he came to this country when he was 21, 22. And the fact that he still has it, I feel really grateful to be able to look at this and it reminds me of my culture and when I look at it I have a lot of emotions and it makes me think about my culture and how far we've come and how what a long journey it's been for us to even be here and coexist in the same space as everybody else. Wow a receipt I can't believe Demi's granddad has still got it. I love objects from the past in all shapes and sizes but there is something about papers and documents that really speaks to me. 
Maybe it's the old-fashioned penmanship. As a former teacher, I love going back in time and reading documents and letters where people really knew how to write. I know what you mean, and I love this idea of this receipt being part of the reason Demi exists. With her granddad meeting her grandma in the UK, she's literally holding her ticket into existence in her hands. It's staggering when you think about it. We caught up with Demi to find out more. Hiya, hi Demi. Hi. I have to ask you, I have to ask you first, is it Demi or Demi? So it's actually pronounced Demi because I'm named after Demi Moore, the actress, who my mum was a massive fan of in the 80s. Me too. But, yeah, but over time I've just said to everybody who I meet in passing that it's actually Demi, just because I feel like Demi never actually sticks with people. So family is Demi and friends is Demi. Well, if you get everybody to listen to our podcast... And you can teach them how to say your name properly. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's actually a bit of a secret. I don't think my friends actually know that it's actually Demi. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. This receipt, it's such a treasure. I can't believe your granddad still has it. Can you talk us through how you found it? Yes, absolutely. So I was telling him that I was going to be doing this podcast and I feel like he was felt a bit excited you know like he's got something to do like he's retired now you know so this is a bit exciting for him and I told him and I was thinking what what can he give me that is going to be of significance I can bring to this podcast Mm -hmm. and he was like yeah man yeah man we still have the receipt when we we did come over and I was like wait really he was like yeah man yeah man when you're ready come take it can I ask actually where did your granddad find it where was it in the house I didn't actually ask him where he found it but he's just one of those people who has everything but he will know where it is you know like that that old thing where if you're looking for something your parents would have it under the bed yeah he's that that sort of person you know that's exactly it i was wondering if he kept it in his um in his grip or in his uh cabinet glass cabinet i wondered where you know where it would be yeah because we have like brown cabinets i feel like it's a very caribbean thing to have brown sort of glossy cabinets with just every document you've ever had (laughs) like you never throw things away, just in case. So um, I think it was probably in there. Yeah, very good. So the receipt says the price of the ticket was £75. Now, that doesn't sound like much in today's standards, but actually, when you look into inflation, that's the equivalent of about, I was looking this up, I think it was about £1,700 today. It's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, and... When he said it was £75, I was like, oh, wait, only £75? I'm thinking, that's really cheap. I was thinking, that's a bargain in, in today's world. And then when I was speaking to him about the cost of it, he said that it was really, really expensive to mm. to even collect that money at the time. It was, it's quite a big thing. Yeah, I can imagine. And how did he raise the funds? So he said that there are a number of ways that people from his parish, because he's from St Anne's, mm-hmm. which is in the country, in Jamaica so there's a few things that people would do so he for example his stepdad helped him raise the money with what people would call pardoners which is uh, yeah which is which is something I learned very recently I had no idea about it which is a group of men in your circle like your trusty circle that you trust with your money and they sort of deal with anything financial and every time you get your salary you would put a bit in to the pardoner and they'd help it go towards things that you needed mm-hmm. so a bit of that and then he said some other people on his island would sell some land or like sell their animals and stuff oh, like wow. that so yeah there's a number of ways but I think it was it's like over 
months that they would raise the money to get this ticket. That's really interesting, actually. And uh, just to let you know, actually, it wasn't just men that did Pardna. It was actually women that started it. I'll let my my mum come in here with a little bit about Pardna. Yeah, it is um, a very popular community savings scheme. But what I like about it as a historian, it's come all the way from Africa. So we brought it with us um, when we were enslaved and taken to the Caribbean. And um, it's even used here in the UK. That way we can save up for the big things in life or just the fun things in life as well. You know, all those cruises we go on. (laughs) (laughs) I do, partner, actually. I'm not sure if I'm oh, going to. Yeah, yeah, I still do it. And I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to the Caribbean on holiday next year or buy a handbag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weighing it up, weighing it up. Decisions, decisions. <laughs> Get an idea of how much she spends on handbags then. Priorities. Um, oh, God. <laughs> In 1948, when the original um, or the first lot of the Windrush generation came over, the cost of the ticket was £28 and 10 shillings. So by the time your dad came and granddad came, (laughs) and it was 75. That's mad. It is, isn't it? What? It went up a lot, man, in that time. There must be a story. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why it, it jumped to that amount. I mean... To be fair, I can probably make a logical guess. More more people wanted to come, so they upped the price. That's yes. Sort of like how <laughs> well, it goes, doesn't it? That's a nice way of saying it. Or maybe they didn't really want us here, so they put the price up so we well, <laughs> That as well. Well, we all know the story there. Did your granddad ever go back to Jamaica? Yeah, he went, he's been back twice. And so he went back once because he was going to build a house, apparently. Um, so he went back to, to, to do that. And I think also just to see what work was there was in Jamaica. And then he came back and then he went back again. And then he said that when he came back from the second time, he said he would never go back again. Really? Yeah, he said that he, it's almost like people didn't view him as Jamaican anymore when he came back. Um, I think there was a lot of jealousy there and just ignorance of, and and people would call him Englishman, <laughs> call him the, the Englishman, the Englishman, and apparently his his accent got weaker and all these things. So I felt like he felt a bit shunned by his own people. So yeah. didn't really mm. have a place to go back to in Jamaica and people would steal from him as well. And Yeah, that happens a lot, doesn't and it? And that was so yeah. hard, really, because a lot of us came only for a period of time and then we were going to go back home yes. and build houses and start businesses and so yes. on. But it's funny how people's attitudes can change in five to ten years, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, and that um, your, your granddad managed to lose a little bit of his accent. Apparently, even though... Till this day, I still can't really understand. So I'm just thinking, well, how strong is it meant to be? Because sometimes I catch myself saying, what? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And when I try um, to to speak patois, let's say, um, people laugh at me and say, don't try. It doesn't sound right. It's very English when I say words. So, yeah. Obviously, because you came when you were seven. Your accent would have definitely would have definitely changed in that time. You know? Yeah, it did. Both of my parents are from St Kitts, and oh, yeah, so my nan's from St Kitts. Yeah, best island, best actually, island. That, actually, Richard. that's not true, Mum. You're from St Kitts. You came in seven. <laughs> 
And I'm from St. Kitts too. I'm flying the flag oh, for St. Kitts. I love that. I love, love it. We have to support the Thought Island. Yeah, oh, well done. I like you. Um, <laughs> but then we moved to the Midlands in Nottingham. Mm. And as Linda was saying, I was seven when I arrived. So it was quicker for a child to pick up the local accent. But then when I'm with my community and I get teased because I just can't speak Patois. Do you know what uh, I mean? But what I love though is because obviously because we're the museum, we work a lot with the Windrush generation. And I love how they can go from speaking pure Patois into the local dialect wherever they live. So going yeah. from Patois into local Nottingham slang or yeah. it's amazing all in what, the yeah. same sentence you get every I know it's incredible <laughs> so have you ever been to the Caribbean yourself? I've actually never been <gasps> I know I, that's everyone's reaction when I tell them <laughs> especially being um, Kittisham because my dad yes. was Jamaican and obviously my mum's from St Kitts St Kitts is beautiful all the Caribbean's beautiful but St Kitts mm. is so small it's like a jewel mm. it's beautiful yeah. you can get around the whole island in a ho- day yeah, <laughs> how do you know that? You my mum told me that's what my grandmother did when she was having mum she walked around the whole island yeah, labour pains. Labor. I could have been born anywhere on that <laughs> island if she travelled with me. Exactly, it's so small and so sacred beautiful um, but yeah I've never been well because I'm saving with my partner you start saving with a partner and we can go together next year. I'd love to. Like, I'd love to go to all of the islands I'm from. Like, I would really love to go. I wanted to tease you um, or, or to alert you. Um, you know, your granddad was called an Englishman. Um, well, yeah. don't do what we did. When I went back after 30 years of being in Britain, I then decided yeah. my children were old enough for me to take them back. So we went to um, St. Kitts. Um, but I was doing some research at the time. Mm-hmm. I got the grant to go and do do some research so I took my children and because I was there to do meetings and be officious and whatever I used to be walking fast and minding my own business people would shout mm. English English because I was walking oh, oh slow down really? slow down slow down, down. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> walk that fast oh, wait, what? <laughs> just walking like I've never heard of that before yeah it was you have to walk slow and take your yeah, time yeah, you know. okay you get there if you get there whatever so don't give yourself away just walk slowly okay yeah I feel like my grandpa would give me like um a survival kit or some sort of survival list of what to, what to do and what not to do if I was to ever go can you tell me a little bit about why your granddad came to the UK so I think he came for work he was a carpenter so obviously when the whole Windrush movement came about, obviously they got invited to the country, so and they were under British rule at the time. So he got invited, so he accepted the invitation. I think that was probably the reason why. And, you know, like, when you're from, like, I can only imagine when you're from Jamaica and you haven't been anywhere else, and then you get a call to say, come into Britain, it's probably, like, an amazing, like, all the feelings you must feel, but, like, all the excitement so you know it's it's a bit of an adventure like and I think he was must have been 21 or 22 at the time so you know if you have never left your country and asked to come across seas to England it must have it's like all these things at once an adventure work and Mm. new experience well the streets will be paved with gold there's money to be made you know I mean it's almost like um I can imagine it being like the Wizard of Oz like you're following that yellow brick road to 
this land of opportunity. Why would land you? of opportunity yeah. and you know, like the emerald green city of you know, like that sort of fantasy that you have in your head is what I can imagine him thinking and yes. you know, other people. Well, if you start from people hearing about the invitation and then getting together to plan, we're going to sell this piece of land, we're going to sell these animals, we're going to save in a partner, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole community or people around you would be Mm mobilised to let one of their number at least go and experience um, this uh, land of opportunity. And I was surprised that it was on the ship that people experience um, other Caribbean islands, you know. So, for instance, you'd never met mm. a, a Kitishan, perhaps had never met a Trinidadian or a Guyanese or whatever. But on the ship, yeah, there was all those sorts of relationships to be made and sharing of information. Absolutely, and that's how the sort of community I would think would start is on that mm. ship because you're all going to one destination. Maybe not the same goal, but you all have similar aspirations of what you want to achieve out of it and my grandpa said that they did make a lot of stops along the way Mm -hmm. before coming to England so you're sort of building your community from then even before you take you come off the boat. Definitely. Did he tell you any stories about you know his first time on the ship and his first experiences because one thing my mum always says well, the first time you had sliced bread and an apple. Yeah, because <laughs> in the Caribbean, in the Caribbean, most of our fruits you have to peel. And yeah. yeah so it came on the ship and people were eating the skin. I thought they were all primitive, really. I thought, hey, we <laughs> don't do that in St. Kitts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, St. Kitts, actually. Um, I don't know if it's just my nan, but I don't know. Like, There's a lot of education in St. Kitts. Yes. Like, my nan went to a private school, her Education was all taught by like white English people, mm. like her education in St. Kitts. You went to one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I went to private school from the age of four. So yeah. by the time I came to England, I was streaks ahead of yeah, the that was like my local children. Yeah. Yeah, my nan is like very <laughs> prim and proper. And, like even when we're going to the street to get, you know, like groceries. She's in heels and a hat, like, Ooh. and a handbag. And, oh, you know. my kind of person. If you're not that, that is, the kit of show, you're I feel like, like that posh. <laughs> I feel like you guys would have been friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's very about her business. <laughs> you describe yourself as a multifaceted journalist who loves audio, loves music, and loves podcasts. Did you get that from your grandfather? And being of Caribbean descent, did that play a hand in what you Mm. do today? You know what? I would say that my love of probably telling stories, because when it comes to friendship group, I would probably say I'm quite flamboyant and I'm the best at impersonations and doing anyone's accent, giving me any accent, I I can do it. (laughs) And I would say that's from, because I'm an only child as well. In a a family where where my mum is one of five siblings, you know, and with my grandparents. So it's almost like I've been raised as the youngest kid in a way, like around, it's a very, I don't know, interesting dynamic. So I've always been the youngest in the room all the time at any time. And sometimes, not that they would forget I'm a kid, but sometimes, you know, how how, how Caribbeans are when you get a bit of a drink down, you sort of forget. And, you big know, they, people they business big, yeah, big talk. people business. So I'm around big people business from, from a very young age and people would just tell stories and I'd, would be so enamoured by it and I sort of felt like I really absorbed 
that way of telling stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, my grandpa's very, very animated. And when he's telling the story, he'll get up and, you know, he'll go from from one end of the room to the other <laughs> to tell the story and have people in stitches. And I feel like that's been passed down to me. Yeah, that's so funny because one thing a Caribbean can do, we can tell a story. And your description of your granddad reminded me of my dad because he was the funniest person. He'll get up mm. and even if you're like annoyed with him for something then he'll tell you a story and it's like oh daddy stop making me that it's that sort of thing but and the laugh the laughter we have yeah. we can laugh can't we really well like belly laugh you know yeah but you're talking about your mum there and um education yeah what does your mum do so she's a psychotherapist oh wonderful so she it was just me and her for a while just us two and while she was raising me she was also studying mm. so she did her her degree at Birkbeck University and at the Open University whilst having a full-time job, whilst still raising me. And then when I was 19, going into my second year of uni, she went to move to New York to do her um, master's at NYU to become a psychotherapist. So yeah, that's my mum. And I think because I am her only child and because I know I'm her only child, it's like I have to do well in life. Mm. I don't know. That's just something I just hold to myself. Mm That must be wonderful for your granddad as well. You know, came here as a carpenter, had five kids, worked very hard, and your mum does super well for herself and you're doing yeah. super well. So he's probably sitting back now and going, wow. Yeah. I that £75 so. pounds was well spent. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's the thing. It's like you don't... And when you, you're buying that ticket, you don't know what it's going to lead to, hmm. you know? It can lead to great things. It's fantastic. <laughs> So we're getting to the end of the conversation now and we always like to end the show with a saying. Now, it can be something that was passed down from your grandfather or grandmother or just a saying that, you know, you remember from childhood. So the saying that my mum's always said to me and that stuck with me throughout my life is that you can be anything you want to be as long as you put your mind to it. She's so right. And um, I know we're wrapping up, but that's what my mum always said to me. There's no, you know, nothing you can't do or can't be. Just work hard, work towards your goal, and it will come true. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I've really Thank had a you. great time. <laughs> Thank you. Such a lovely sentiment there to end the show on. Take advice from Demi's mum, everybody. You can be anything you want to be. Yes, and it seems like it served Demi well, because what an amazing person she is. If you're listening, Demi's mum, you did good. So that's the end of today's podcast. If you'd like to know more about the work we do to share stories like Demi's, please visit museumand.org. Next week, we'll be speaking to magazine editor Dawn Maria France about an object that reflects her profession perfectly. But until then, bye-bye. Bye! Bye!